Hey friend, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I'm a therapist who loves to draw you closer to Jesus and offer practical tools to help you walk confidently in who you are in Christ. Tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes, always 15 minutes or less, and on Wednesdays, we sprinkle in guest interviews with people I feel can equip your mind, soul, body, or spirit. These episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your therapist. Stick around until the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Today's episode equips your mental health as we discuss trauma and EMDR therapy. Today's guest is my LPC supervisor, which you get to hear a little bit more about that in the interview. So I know and I trust her insight in this area. Let me tell you a little about her. Dr. Mary Dainty is a fully licensed professional counselor, LPC, and a board approved counselor supervisor. She operates a private practice in Fort Worth focusing on trauma related problems using EMDR. Additionally, Dr. Dainty works for Baylor Scott and White All Saints as a PRN intake and assessment clinician and as an adjunct professor at the King's University in Southlake. When Dr. Dainty is not working, she loves to spend time with her husband and son, sit outside with a warm cup of tea and chit chat with friends, and travel to see family and friends and really just any opportunity where she can sit on the beach. Well, I love Dr. Dainty, you'll hear me refer to her as Mary in the interview because she is my supervisor. She is just one of those people who is both smart, as you can tell by her bio. She kind of uh, has a lot of training under her belt and lots of years in this area, Um, but she's also just very kind, very down to earth. You're going to love her. Um, Before I bring her on the show, I want to read to you, she was kind enough to write an endorsement for my book, Image Restored. So I'm going to read to you her endorsement. If perfectionism has ever influenced your self-image, this book offers relief and hope. Rachel unravels the mysteries of shame, guilt, hidden hurts, and unresolved trauma as they relate to body image. She captures the nuances of self-awareness and recovery while providing a roadmap for healing the soul. Rachel's skilled and informative approach as a licensed mental health professional offers a safe place for finding healing. Well, my friends, it was an honor to have Mary or Dr. Dainty endorse my book. Um, She was actually one of the three doctoral level therapists that read the book for not only accuracy and errors, but also just gave professional feedback to ensure the material was a beautiful combination of therapy and Jesus. Today's conversation with Dr. Dainty, it was rich with therapeutic insight. I know y'all are going to love her, so please help me welcome her to the show. Well, hello, Mary, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and you are actually Dr. Mary Dainty, but you so graciously let me call you Mary because we are, you're my supervisor, but then also you've just been speaking into my life for years. And so I, before we get started talking about what we're going to talk about today, I love for you just to introduce yourself briefly to the listeners in case they don't yet know you. 
Sure. Uh, my name is Dr. Mary Dainty, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I'm a board-approved supervisor. Uh, for those who um, aren't familiar with what that is, basically after graduate students graduate and take their licensure, they have to get 3,000 hours of residency in their field, and I'm one of those board-approved people to help kind of shepherd them through that process. And then I'm an adjunct professor at TKU. Yeah. And for the listeners, Mary is actually my supervisor. So this is a a double bonus. We're getting to talk to you about something that you specialize in and now I specialize in. And I remember, so how we first met was at TKU. I took one of your classes and it was a summer class. And I just remember being so impressed with you because if I had a question, I would, you know, email it to you or ask you, you know, in class and you always had an either either had an answer but if you didn't have the answer you would research it and then i'd get an email with like several you know several different options and i was just blown away by that because you don't see that anymore especially at the time i mean i wasn't paying you at the time to do any extra coaching or supervising or anything with me and you just did that and it shows how much you just love your field and you really love investing in those of us who are entering into the field and so uh, that was a big reason why I, whenever it came time for me to choose a supervisor, I was like, I wonder if she would take me because I was very impressed by that. <laughs> I don't think I actually knew that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't think I ever asked specifics for, you know, why you, why you were interested in using me as a supervisor, but that's really nice. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Well, and another reason, and this is something I do want the listeners to know about you that I, I loved and again why I wanted to work with you was that you are a Christian so you do have that faith-based but then you also really know not just the science but you know all the laws like you you know you're very you were very good at integration which is really something that I I am doing in my practice and so that was another really important thing to me that somebody had the same belief system as me but then also that you just, you know, all the things that like you're, you're on I'm top trying. of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try. And if I don't know it, I, I will do my best to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And you do. All right. And so then on top of not only did you, you do supervise me, but also when I wrote my book, Image Restored, you also were one of the uh, ones who I asked to read the book, give me feedback, look for anything that stood out to you that was a red flag or triggers or anything like that. And so first of all, one of the reasons I'm bringing those of you who did that for me on here is I also just want to publicly thank you and let everybody know that you contributed to the work as well and gave me ideas and challenged me on some things and, you know, talked me off the ledge when I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And you got to see the behind the scenes for sure. And you also wrote an endorsement for the book. Why would you say this is a resource that you're excited about? So it's going to be getting into the hands of people. Um, I was excited the minute I heard you were interested in um, A, the field, B, EMDR, and writing a book, because I think you've kind of already touched on the fact that you can you can be Christian and you can integrate that with mental health in the field that is strongly supported by science. I think you can have this you know beautiful balance um, between the two in your your book is exactly that. Um, and it does it in such a respectful 
way for both avenues. So you're, you're still offering this therapeutic uh, approach and discussion and dialogue with everything that you're doing, but you're also integrating the, the really important faith-based aspect of healing. And not many people are able to do that in our field. So a lot of times it's one or the other. And there's a lot of division when it comes to uh, faith and mental health. And you have, you, you writing this book, you've done just this brilliant job of bridging the two. Well, thank you. That was definitely my heart on it. And really, I think that's my heart in the field is to bridge that gap between faith and mental health. And instead of keeping them in their own categories and everybody being afraid to cross over the bridge to the other side, uh, let's just build a bridge that is two-way street and we can both go and just merge the things together. So thank you for, Mm -hmm. for saying that and for noticing that. And one of the chapters, so this is the topic we're going to talk about today. One of the chapters I did discuss trauma in the book. And I already feel like, and I knew when I wrote it that I scraped the very tip of the iceberg when it comes to trauma, but it it was just important to me to at least bring up the topic, to just kind of start that conversation. Because obviously the book is not 100% about trauma, but it was important that I at least mention it. And you really helped me with that chapter. And especially on, you wrote the the therapist thought, because there are therapist thoughts all throughout the book. And there are a couple of you who contributed some. And and you wrote this one. Um, I'm going to just read it word for word here, especially for those who don't have the book in their hands yet. And they they can't read it for themselves. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. EMDR acts like a reset button for clients to reconnect to emotions that once harbored intense feelings of shame fear, and sorrow. The once-held belief that vulnerability is a weakness is replaced with growth, strength, and healing. So I know that was a lot to unpack, but the one thing that I do want to us to start with is, can you explain how EMDR acts like a reset button? Yeah, I'll, I'll break it down in just really digestible words because there's a lot of science behind it. But when, when the therapist is working with a, a client to help mitigate or get rid of or decrease some of these symptoms related to trauma, um, what we're doing is asking the brain to hold attention to two different things and uh, associating it with a new or reframed emotion. And when we do that, it, it very similarly replicates what happens in the REM cycle of sleep. And so it, it's a fairly, when, when I say young practice, uh, it was in the late 80s when Francine, Francine Shapiro developed it and started um, really uh, creating all the protocols around it. But the brain just seems to really love that process. So it's really effective in terms of unblocking the the channel where the trauma has become stuck and then helping it move on um, to where it should have gone in the first place. I love that you broke that down in just very simple terms. So for the listener, I know EMDR is definitely, like you said, it is somewhat new, but it's also, I feel like, really taking off and more and more people are hearing about it and are interested in it, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do a a podcast episode on this. But for the listener who's like, what does EMDR, what what are you even talking about? (laughs) What does it even stand for? 
can you share again in lay terms what, sure. what it is? <laughs> sure. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It, you, when it first started out, you started off with just these bilateral movements of your hands. And over time, what they've realized is really it's a bilateral, meaning one side and the other. And it can be done through um, a listening sound. It can be done through tapping. It can be done through movements. And the idea behind it is that your eyes will track the stimulus or your ears will hear it um, bilaterally or you'll feel it. And that is how we kind of seal it all in just to, just to simplify it. Yeah. And what is the power of that bilateral movement? What's happening? So that is, that is the, the part where you're asking the brain to kind of function in that um, similar way of, of the REM pattern that happens in sleep. And it's through that pattern that the therapy helps the unblocked to help unblock um, the memory and help it move into the space where it should have been filed a long time ago, but somehow got stuck. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I've heard it explained in that same thing during REM cycle that our eyes are doing that right to left motion and our brain is dumping, deciding which memories like, Hey, mm-hmm. yes, I can dump. I don't really need to remember what I had for lunch yesterday. That one, it can go, but then it hangs on to the ones that it feels like I should might hang on to this. This could be yeah. of importance. And of course in trauma, we know it definitely likes to hang on to some of those things. And like you said, just get almost stuck there and filed away. And then that's kind of what we're doing in therapy is going, okay, it's time to process that memory that was lodged and is stuck. And like you said, reset it. Yeah, exactly. So your brain has this phenomenal capacity for keeping you safe. And sometimes what it does is take everything in like it does, but it holds on to specific sounds or movements or colors or feelings or emotions because it may come in handy to keep you safe in the future. The problem is, is a lot of times we don't need those, uh, we don't need the brain to remember that. And so it causes a lot of interference with everyday things. I remember it was in graduate school and I believe you were the one I reached, I know you were the one I reached out to (laughs) about EMDR because you referred me to uh, the same trainer or EMDR, what do you call them, a trainer? What's I call him a trainer. A trainer, yeah. yeah. Uh, that you went through, used, and I was kind of wrestling with, oh, should I go through this training? It's one more thing. I'm already in grad school. Maybe I'll just push push that back to later. And I'm so thankful I went for it. I think the thing that kind of motivated me to go and go for it was you got a student discount. So I was like, you know what? Let's go for yeah. it. Like that was kind of my <laughs> initial, yeah, you know what? We'll go for it. And it was one of the best decisions ever to go ahead and get that training because obviously definitely believe in just EMDR, the therapy period, but it also just helped me as a trauma informed therapist, even in talk therapy to know what's happening right now Mm -hmm. in, in their brain or just to be able to see, and even to be able to do bilateral stimulation, even as a calming mechanism at the end of session, sometimes with my patients. And so can we touch on, I know this is something people are curious about, how does EMDR differ from if you just came to a therapist and did traditional talk therapy? 
Yeah. So I think it's a really good question. And I think it's important to recognize that it's a tool within therapy. So a lot of counselors or therapists that provide help to people um, with their philosophy on what they feel like um, works best for them and clients. So let's compare it to like CBT. A lot of therapists will come in already with an orientation of solution-focused or CBT. And then what they do is they use EMDR as a tool to then help facilitate through specific topics or subjects or adverse events. And so not every session of EMDR it incorporates eye movement or bilateral stimulation. A lot of times, well, really, you know, one of the most important phases in EMDR is the history gathering. And depending on whether it's a simple trauma or a complex trauma, it may take a couple of sessions just to get a really good foundation for knowing where to start with the processing. I'm glad that you brought that up about that it can take several sessions to establish and get a nice history because I was just talking to somebody recently. It was not a, a client of mine. It was actually a fellow podcaster. And uh, she had mentioned, we talked about this publicly on her podcast. So I, I, we can talk about it here too. I'm not sharing something that sure. she, she wouldn't want me to say, but we had touched on EMDR and she said, I had a really bad experience with it. And I said, okay, tell me more. And she said, well, it was her first session with the counselor and on their first session, they started processing, like didn't do any history taking, you know? And so, and then that brings me back to something you said a little bit ago that all counselors do have a different orientation. And, and I do think that this is, this is not EMDR related, what I'm about to say and talk to you about, but I felt like I wanted to address it. I think sometimes people can get discouraged from going to therapy because maybe you have one bad experience and you think, oh, well, therapy's not for me. But I do think it's important to note that not all, just like not all doctors practice the same, not all lawyers practice the same, not all, all, I mean, all the professions, I think it's safe to say you don't all practice or do whatever you do the exact same. But for example, if somebody was really would hope for a solution focused therapist, but they got somebody over here that's complete opposite, then they leave discouraged going, oh, I guess therapy is not for me. So how could you encourage the listener if maybe they've had a bad experience, EMDR, just therapy period of, uh, man, I tried it once and it was not a good fit and I'm just not trying that again. What word of encouragement or even help could you give them on when you're researching counselors, things to look for or something like that. I know that's a big question, but I think it's a Yeah, a, no, a it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important because that is something that we hear in the field is it, when we ask, you know, during our history, we say, have you ever done counseling before? And, and then one of the questions I ask is, what was your experience with that prior counseling? And sometimes you hear, oh, it was good, or I was a kid and I really don't remember much about it. But I I would encourage listeners to know that counseling is very different than the counselor. And so for me, I'm a a very person-centered therapist. So relationship is the most important factor in a counseling um, or a therapeutic setting. So you, you kind of, for me, you have to like the person that's in front of you because that person is going to provide interventions, ideally, that are going to provide you with comfort, um, therapeutically challenge you. Um, you know, they may ask you to consider different perspectives or they may do interventions with you like EMDR. So if you're not 
feeling connected to that person therapeutically, then try a different therapist. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going to see five or six different therapists until you find the one that you like a lot. Because it's 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 a high bar and sometimes you may not know what you want. Maybe this is the first or second time you've ever been in counseling and you go in with the idea that well, am I just supposed to talk? Am I supposed, are they going to ask me questions? And depending on the therapist that's sitting across from you, it may be a very client-driven session, or it may be a very work, work, work kind of session. So you, you have to really like that person that's in front of you in terms of this working therapeutic relationship. So if you've had a negative experience in the past with a therapist, find a new one. There are a thousand different modalities and therapists out there and everyone is going to bring something different to the table. And so same with EMDR, you know, we, we, we see clients that will say, I just really didn't have a good experience with EMDR. And when we ask, we say, well, you know, what was it specifically um, that you did not like about it? Often what we hear, the ones who practice it with fidelity really understand that it probably wasn't um, administered correctly and according to the protocol we don't say that and we're not going to you know admonish somebody else's professional what they've done you know with a client but what we'll you know what we'll say is well you know different therapists have a way of doing this but i you know i follow this model i follow Francine Shapiro's protocol and if you ever want to try it again you know i i would love to be able to do that with you and and guide you through the process Yes, and I know I adopted that same question in my paperwork of, hey, what was your, I don't say it like that, obviously that casual, hey, uh, yeah. but it, there's a spot on the paperwork that says, you know, for them to list their previous experiences. And I love talking to them on that first day about that because they'll say things like, eh, it was okay, but man, she made me do so many worksheets. I don't, I don't want to see another worksheet another day in my life. Well, that's good for me to know, right? And so right. the more stuff that you can tell the either your existing therapist or your new one of, I just did not like this, that helps us get to know you better and what you need and what's going to work with you. And, and that's been very, very helpful. Okay, so yeah. let's come back to the EMDR talk. And I want to talk just for a second about the difference between big T versus small t traumas. Do you want to sum that mm-hmm. up for us? Sure, sure. So small t traumas are going to be those things that we don't identify as maybe catastrophic. Perhaps it was being picked on uh, as a child or failing at this really important science project that you worked really hard on um, and you thought it was going to it, you you lived your identity through it, you know, when you were in 11th grade or something. Whereas big T traumas are going to be those really catastrophic things. You know, it, it could go anywhere, abuse, neglect. Um, it, it could be uh, assault. It could be a natural disaster. It could be homelessness or, or food um, insecurity. And then sometimes we just use the word adverse events. Because sometimes people don't like the word trauma. And when they come into therapy or counseling, when you ask them, have you ever had any traumas in your life? They're like, well, no, I've never had any traumas. But then really when you're doing the history and going over everything, you realize what we call trauma, other people don't consider trauma. It's not a universal language. So adverse events is really, to me, 
a, a more um, global term for people then thinking, oh, I did have some really bad things happen to me. Now, they may not consider those traumatic, but in the world of trauma therapy, we would consider those traumatic. Thank you for that breakdown of the difference between those two. And then in EMDR, for example, I know the listeners are wanting to know, do we treat both big T? And, yeah. Yeah. And does it we look any different? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we treat it all. Really? Um, and there are more protocols than just the standard protocol for treating trauma. So EMDR training can continue just like a lot of other training programs out there. Um, it can extend to chronic pain. It can, it can extend to phobias, anxieties. The list goes on and on. So as a therapist, uh, if they want to grow their practice and reach more people, what they will do is then um, continue to learn more within the EMDR field so that they can treat even more and more and more. Let's go ahead and pivot now to, I asked listeners for questions and they came up with a lot of really great, great questions. Hopefully we can get through them all. So we'll go through them as quickly as we can. One listener okay. who I actually happen to know is a licensed counselor herself. Uh, she wants to know the science behind EMDR, which we've already kind of touched on. Did we leave anything else yeah. out that we haven't? I don't think we really left any. So that might be really interesting to know how it was created or how, I mean, because it really goes back to the foundation of it. But Francine Shapiro in the late, um, was it 80s, 87, 88, something like that? Yeah, <laughs> no, I remember really, it was 80s. It was really, or it was really early, like, or, you know, early, uh, late in the 80s. So she was walking, and as she was walking, she began to feel herself process through negative emotions. And she thought, gosh, there's something to this. And so it, that's really where it was born. It, it was born from this just, you know, casual walk that Francine Shapiro was doing in, it was 1987, where she felt this desensitizing effect. That's really the word that we would use to describe it. And um, what's really impactful about that is um, to the listeners, trauma, any kind of trauma-informed care really did not start getting recognized and noticed until the 90s. And that includes anything to do with veterans, PTSD. It wasn't until the 1990s that trauma-specific modalities began to really um, hit the therapy market, so to speak. Wow. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it totally changed everything of how we do it. It did. Yeah. It did. It was, she was really one of the pioneers. And then Vander Kolk, um, for those who uh, aren't familiar, um, between his um, research in trauma and Francine Shapiro's, they have, they have a tremendous amount of literature that's published to show the effectiveness of trauma-based therapies and connecting that um, somatic response of emotions and and cognitive thoughts about the process and how it can, how you can use those tools to work through those processes. There was another great question I love from a listener that said, how old can your trauma be and EMDR still be used as a tool to treat or heal? It can be as old as you are. <laughs> it can. There is never an expiry date um, or too late of a date for you to start working on trauma. 
Yeah, and then a follow-up question another person had, without even knowing that person's original question was, she says, for the person who feels like they're, quote, doing okay, handling their their trauma, is EMDR mm-hmm. still beneficial? Yes. So I'm from the philosophy that uh, any kind of help and support we can get to mitigate future issues is awesome. Um, we never know when any sort of PTSD things are going to happen to us related to past traumas. Often, it's, it's not something we can predict. It's usually uh, triggered by something uncontrollable in our surroundings. It could be as simple as a noise in the background. It could be a smell that passes us. It could be the way the light is filtering through clouds one day. We never know the things that are going to potentially affect or trigger any sort of negative emotion that we're feeling related to past traumas. So um, obviously if, if you've had traumatic events happen and they're not affecting you in your daily life, then um, you wouldn't necessarily want to do EMDR or any sort of other trauma therapy. Um, but my guess is unless you have received some sort of trauma-specific therapy, whatever you've chosen in the past, you're probably going to still have reminders of that event and what it has done to you and how it has changed maybe certain things in your life. I agree. And even if it doesn't necessarily feel debilitating now, I think Mm -hmm. we would be shocked to recognize how many of our even just existing behaviors and thought patterns and things we believe were shaped from that time. And it is always, I think, a smart idea to go back and just make sure that something, there's nothing residual (laughs) there. I know I learned that lesson when I was going through training. We would, in practicum during the EMDR training, we would do EMDR on each other. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, they would tell us to choose something that wasn't like more of a small T trauma and Mm -hmm. wasn't any big family of origin, childhood, anything. And and I selected something that I thought was not a big deal. I'm like, oh, yeah, this should be not a big deal. It was actually the birth of my first daughter. And I now realize I had a bit of a traumatic delivery and had never really processed that. And anyhow, it wasn't until we started processing that I realized, oh, my goodness, this is affecting. You would think oh, it's just a it's just a delivery. What would that be affecting? Right. right? But right. I ended up unpacking a lot and then doing even more work after that session on that around it. And here's the mm-hmm. really cool thing. It actually brought me and my daughter closer. The one that I delivered. Mm-hmm. Like I, anyway, I was able to have a whole thing oh with her gosh. anyhow. So that's another story for another day, but all, t- all oh, that to I say that when you think, <laughs> Oh, that's not a big deal. That wasn't a, a big, whatever. I didn't, stop to think that that was a big thing. It affected me a lot more than I realized. And I'm so glad that I went there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important too, because I think you hit on something going that kind of touches back to what we were talking to about a few minutes ago is that often as Christians, when something, a blessing results from something, we don't want to consider it traumatic. We want to count our blessings and be grateful for the, for the thing, like the baby. I've just had a baby. She's safe. And and I'm okay. So anything that happened in the process of that, it's okay because she's okay. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we've been taught, we've been taught 
that it's that simple. And so I really, that's, that's where the connection point with your counselor comes in because then your counselor can work with you to say, you know, it's okay. It's okay to count your blessings, but also still have feelings of trauma. Yeah. I had people say that to me in the hospital of, oh, at least she's safe. And like you said, I was, was grateful for that. And same when I had a miscarriage, same thing. Well, oh, at least you have those other two healthy children and oh, at least you're safe. And, and I get what they're trying to do. I do. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes then that keep prevents us from processing the pain that was also there (laughs) and thinking that pain's wrong. I shouldn't be feeling that pain. So now I just don't tell anybody about the pain. So now let's stack shame in there because I'm hiding. It it becomes a whole thing and it did not need to become a whole thing. (laughs) Right. And so think of that for listeners. Think of those as like the stream water. Think of it as stream. And then these little pebbles start getting placed into the stream and eventually you have enough of those or big enough of those that the stream becomes blocked and so it becomes kind of this dam backed up and that's where tools like emdr come into place to help kind of clear that out and let that let it start flowing again Yes. Oh, this has been so good. All right. We're wrapping up. There were two more listener questions, which I already kind of know we can't directly answer these, but we're going to bring them up of how many sessions is it going to take for me to see changes? And then will I need to do maintenance? So let's address those questions for them. Good questions. Um, It depends on the severity of your issues. It depends whether it's a single event or a complex trauma. Um, You could see results as uh, early as one session. I would say it is typical um, between six and 12 of actual sessions, not just all the other things that lead up to it. So the talking part is part of it, but then the actual EMDR session would be its own session. So you, you ideally, according to research, between six and 12 sessions, you should see some sort of alleviation or desensitization of traumatic issues. Um, Will you need follow-up sessions? Yeah, quite likely you will. Um, And the reason why is because think of it as like an onion. You start peeling away these various layers of all of these traumas or adverse events that you've experienced. And now when something surfaces, you are dealing with it from a new perspective. You're not having all of the other stuff just like crushing it down or hiding it or um, filtering it. Now you're seeing it for something different, something new. And so, yeah, you may have to go back in for one or two or three more sessions to process it in the way you're viewing it at that point. Chances are, if you've done a significant amount of EMDR, you're probably going to be sitting in front of the therapist and go, I kind of know where this is going, but I need you to be able to facilitate it for me. Yeah. And I was just thinking that if you have a good experience with EMDR, you're mm-hmm. going to want maintenance sessions because yes. once you once yes. you taste and see how powerful it is and also... I know for me, and I've seen this again with several of my patients, it also can be very calming. You know, once we've, we use some bilateral stimulation in a slower format. Uh, So you, yeah, if you have a good experience with it, for sure, you're going to, you'll be back. Kind of like having your nails done. I mean, you can do them yourself. They're going to look cute, but when you have somebody else do them for you, they look better. They're, (laughs) you know, you want to, it's just a better experience. Exactly. Okay, before we go, anything else that you want to share with the listeners or even if there's anything anywhere that they can connect with you, if they want to connect with you, anything like that? Sure, for sure. I would say for for further information, if anybody is interested in learning more about EMDR, because we did just, I mean, we 
barely touched, scratched the surface. It's Francine Shapiro, but she has passed, um, but her website is still available and it is um, the EMDR Institute. You can go there to learn more information or there's a professional organization related to EMDR called EMDRIA. And EMDRIA is kind of the professional organization related to the field. And um, you can't go wrong with referring to either one of those places. Um, for more information, get the real science behind it. Watch a few videos, read a few articles um, if you really want to know. And, and just don't be afraid to go and talk to somebody because um, like your book, it is possible to have faith, be a Christian, and also address your mental health. Absolutely. And and that was something I encouraged my readers several times, definitely in that chapter, but even throughout the book of, hey, if things come up, please go seek help. That's what we're here for. Yeah. You know, the, I didn't, I'm not your counselor in the book. <laughs> I'm the author in the book. And so if you yeah. things come up, go go seek professional help, which is again one of the reasons I wanted us to talk about this today and then give people some insight and ways that they can find somebody who might practice this in therapy. Well, Mary, thank you again for taking time to come on. I just appreciate you. And I know my listeners, they're, they're going to love this and they're going to be like, can we, can we learn more, please? <laughs> <laughs> learn it all. Learn all of it. <laughs> yeah. Spread the word. Everybody get better. Everybody heal. Yes, exactly. All right. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Well, it is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps you can implement in your life right now. I know today's interview went a bit over length and Mary and I basically gave counseling insight the whole way through the episode. So I want to draw your attention to the trauma chapter in my book. It's chapter six. And this chapter was very special to write. In fact, it was one, it got rearranged quite a bit. In fact, it was supposed to be later in the book, and I'm so thankful we moved it up closer in the book. But the way it turned out, I'm very, very pleased with, and here's why. Yes, we got to introduce some of these concepts of trauma, and I even discuss in the book a little bit of what Mary and I talked about today, about big T versus little t traumas and EMDR. But the thing that I probably like the most about this chapter is we discussed how Jesus himself experienced trauma. This is just one more area that Jesus can say, I can relate. In fact, in my book, I, I did like a little bullet point thing of the different types of trauma that Jesus experienced. I'm going to read to you a couple of them real quick. All right, here are just a few moments from Jesus's life where he experienced some trauma himself. Um, of course, just from the moment that he was in his mother's womb, he experienced rejection as Mary had to fight to protect his supernatural existence. And then, of course, we know the way he entered the world wasn't exactly the most glamorous in a manger. He started life out on the run and in hiding because King Herod wanted him dead. Jesus was rejected by the people of his time, which ultimately led to his death. He experienced physical trauma as he was crucified. He experienced emotional trauma as he was humiliated on the cross. And he experienced abandonment trauma as he cried out to his father and asked, why have you forsaken me? 
And of course, this list could go on for quite some time, but I share this with you, not only in the book, but here on the podcast to remind you and encourage you, if you have experienced trauma, which if you're alive and breathing, chances are you've experienced some form of trauma in your life, Jesus understands it. And not only does he understand it, he came for it. And he came for our our hurts and our pains, and he wants to help us in this area. So absolutely, definitely, if you have some big T traumas in your life, definitely seek help of a licensed professional. And, and even one that does practice EMDR would be awesome. But also, lean into Jesus. He gets it. He understands it, and he wants to walk with you and bring some healing there, okay? And then I want to also, at the end of every chapter in my book, um, there is some strong foundation verses that you can use and stand on. But then we also have a coloring page. I'm a big fan of therapeutic coloring. And the coloring page for this particular chapter is from Psalm 34, 18, which says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if the Lord is bringing anything up with you right now or did in this episode, draw near to him because it says he is close to the brokenhearted. All right, so let's pray, and I'm just going to pray over you, and then I'll give you, uh, as I always do, a few resources. So, Father, I thank you for every single person who is sitting under the sound of my voice. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross and how you not only died for our sins, but you also died for everything that we would experience, the pain and the suffering that we would go through in this fallen world. In fact, you reminded us, Jesus, that in this world we will have troubles, but Be of good cheer. Take heart because you have overcome the world. Thank you, Father, that you draw near to the brokenhearted. I pray that over every listener right now. If any of them are brokenhearted or going through something currently or have something that they know needs to be um, some unprocessed trauma that they know needs to be resolved, you would just draw near to them. Draw near to their broken heart. Send them the help they might need and bless them, Lord. Bless them, Bring healing in areas of their heart they didn't even know they needed. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, and I know, I believe we briefly mentioned these in the show. If you are interested in EMDR, um, emdria.org. Mary already mentioned that one. And there's all kinds of resources. Focus on the Family has some different resources. Definitely encourage you to look into some of those things. And then don't forget, you need to pre-order my book, Image Restored. It is available for pre-order right now. When this releases, guys, it's one month until the book is officially out, which I'm just still in awe and amazed and humbled and all the things. So to support the book and the message, you can go order, go to imagerestoredbook.com. And if you pre-order, you're getting access to a lot of pre-order bonuses, one of which is a private podcast. Um, the Image Restored podcast. I'm basically going chapter by chapter, giving you some insights and some different encouragement and things. And then we're also putting together some other pre-order bonuses, like some printable coloring sheets and different things from the book that you're going to want to have. So definitely go pre-order and then put your stuff in to that Image Restored book page and we'll send you all the things. Okay, that was a, that was a mouthful. I think we got it all. 
All right, my friends, I pray this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. And I will see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.